we began a new series, and so we're doing this series. I didn't know if this was going to be our first series in the new building or our last series here, but it is a little bit where we're looking at Acts chapter 13 and 14, which is a new and separate section in the book of Acts, and we know it's a, it's a section in, a, in, of us, uh, in and of itself because it's marked by uh, a key phrase that starts at the beginning of the section and it, and it shows up again at the end. And that phrase we looked at last week was the work, the, specifically talking about the work that the missionaries Saul and Barnabas were sent out to do. So at the beginning of this section in the book of Acts, these two chapters, chapter 13, verse 2, it says, the Holy Spirit, as the, as the prophets and as the teachers were, were gathering together, fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit said and spoke into that into that group of praying people, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And so the section starts out with the Holy Spirit directing them into the work, and it, the section finishes at the end of chapter 14. It says at the end of chapter 14, verse 26, that they go back after, the, after they sail all around and do the work. At verse 14, 26, it says they go back to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled and so that they had gone out by direction of the Holy Spirit to do a certain thing. And in doing that certain thing, they also knew when it was done. So they knew what they had to do and they knew when they had finished it. And so what we're going to be looking at in these four weeks or so is to say, okay, well, what is this work that they were set out to do? What is this work that they knew what they had to do? What is this work that they also knew when they had completed and when they had fulfilled it? And it's good for us as a church to look at this work because in the book of Acts, this is where it defines for us what is the mission of God that we still today are participating in. So it's actually defining for us to us, now that you have become a Christian, now that you have come to know God through Jesus Christ, now what it is that we are to do, what it is that we are to live for, what it is that we are to devote our time and our energy and our money and our prayers and our friendships and our work and what it is that we are to devote our whole life to, that is defined for us in these two chapters. And you know, it's quite common for churches today, in fact, you could probably go to almost every church in town, door to door, and it's common today for churches to have maybe a, an encapsulation or a summary of this work somewhere public. Uh, we have, I, I just put a couple years ago, I just put on the top of your bulletins, if you see your bulletin here, uh, we have, I've, I've just drafted and, and encapsulated a phrase that has been on your bulletin over the last couple of years. It's on the screen behind me. But it says here, for the work of the OCBC English congregation is that we would be helping people walk the way of Christ. And maybe you've seen that before on our website or on our bulletin, and you've said, okay, well, that sounds nice, but what does that mean? Well, that's what we're going to be unpacking over these next four weeks, because we get our work, we get our mission, we get the reason and purpose for why we gather, why we join with one another. We get that from these two chapters in the book of Acts. And so that's what we're going to be unpacking over the next four weeks. We're going to study what Paul and his missionary band did as they fulfilled this work. And then here's the harder part for us. Here's the harder and more challenging part for me as a pastor. And here's the harder part for you as a member of our congregation. The harder work is actually not only to define what the work is from these chapters. The harder work is going to actually be evaluating how we're doing this. 
like evaluating, are we actually doing this together as a church family at OCBC? And where we're falling short of it, how can we shore up, how can we rededicate ourselves to the work that God has set out in front of us? That's what we're going to be doing. Now, helpfully, in these two chapters, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, summarizes the work for us in chapters 14, verses 21 to 23. And so there's four things, and these are what we're going to be looking through over the next four weeks. But I'll just read this passage now. It says, this is a helpful summary. It says, when, in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had pointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. And so you can kind of see I've bolded and have numbers for those four things. But today we're just going to look at the first one. We're going to look at each one of these over the next four weeks. And today we're looking at uh, what's it speaking of in this passage. There they go out proclaiming the gospel, preaching the gospel. The Greek word here is evangelizo, which we get the modern word, we just brought it into English as evangelism. They, they went out to evangelize, to proclaim the word of God. So when we say as a church that, when we, that we exist to help people walk the way of Christ, when you see that on your bulletin or you see that on the website, what we mean first is that the first thing we do in helping people walk the way of, of Christ is actually pointing people to Jesus as the way. And what we mean by that is what Jesus meant by that when he said to his disciples very clearly, he says, and this was, would be a blasphemous claim if anybody else said it, but Jesus said, why do, you, why do you say, show me God? Why do you say, show me the Father? Don't you know that, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And, and, and the disciples say to him, and he, and he says, I'm going to go away for a while, and where I'm going, you can't come, but afterwards you'll find me. And they say, well, show us the way, Jesus. Show us the way to God. Show us the way to heaven. Show us the way to where you're going. And Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he says, no man, no one comes to the Father but by me. And so when we say we exist to help people walk the way of Christ, the first thing means we point people to Jesus as the only way. Now, as you know, this is a difficult mission because we are in a culture of, I don't know what you'd call this, an offense-saturated culture. It's almost as if the culture we live in is just waiting. It's almost as if we wake up every day looking for and wondering how am I going to be offended today? Particularly if you spend any time online <laughs> or if you spend any time out, it's almost as if people wake up in the morning going, hmm, I woke up, I'm refreshed, I got out of bed, I'm happy, I just got to look for something to offend me to get me riled up. It, it seems to me that's the culture we live in today. And in such an offense-riddled culture, it is. It doesn't seem as simple and as easy as it seems to be to say that we exist as a church, we exist as the people of God, to point to Jesus as the only way. Think about just this last week. Just this last week, um, and I forget his name, but there was a, it, this happened out in the States. There was a Christian man who was appointed to some government position. 
And some of you guys might have seen in, in the news that at, the, at his um, confirmation hearings, the focus wasn't on, at least the focus that leaked to the media, wasn't on whether or not this person had the uh, experience required for the job. The focus wasn't on whether this person had the competency required for the job. No, the focus was that during the confirmation hearings, uh, a senator, uh, Bernie Sanders, some of you have heard of him, he ran for president, he grilled the appointee, again, not about his experience, not about his uh, competency, he grilled the appointee about his faith and his belief that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only way of salvation. And it was out of the context of a blog post this man had written earlier, a few years ago, about speaking of adherence to another religion and just making the statement that unless they know Jesus Christ as Lord, they stand condemned. Which is directly what Jesus taught when he was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but by me. It, it caused no small controversy over this last week for a person in public life to simply state what I just stated right there in the context of our church. What I just said about we exist to point people to Jesus as the way, it doesn't seem too controversial in here, but outside in this offense-driven culture, it's hard teaching. And I think it is, is because our culture tends to view choosing a religion like shopping for a shirt, right? Like if you go out, if you go to the mall after this and you go shopping, you know, I, we might go together. Maybe we'll go together and we'll go shopping. And, and we, might, we might look at, look at these various different options we have for garments. And I might look really good in, like, let's say, hypothetically, a yellow and green plaid shirt. Probably don't. And... Um, and I might pick out this yellow and green plaid shirt, and I might say, ah, man, that suits me. It suits my personality. It suits, you know, how I want to present myself. It suits, you know, it's, it's nice and cool, and it's getting summertime. And I might look at this shirt and say, man, that is what suits me. And then you might pick something out. And I would look at it, and I would say, oh, my goodness, that's horrendous. Well, what are you doing wearing that, you know, black blouse that you're wearing, Joy. Don't you know that this green and yellow plaid shirt is the only way? It is the only right thing to wear. And we would say that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. That's not how we shop. We shop and you, you look for your own individual preference. You look for your own individual taste. And you say, oh, you know, this is good. This is beautiful on me. That's beautiful on you. Kumbaya. We all went shopping. We all got our own shirts and everybody is happy. And that's great when you're shopping. And our culture sees the selection and the choosing and the choice of a religion as if, as if Muhammad and Jesus and Buddha are all sitting on the rack over here saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. And, and, and we go shopping for a god. And Christ came into this world. And Christ came into this world on a mission to the cross to face his own death and his own suffering because 
Choosing a religion is not like shopping for a shirt. Choosing or being part of a religion, being part of Christianity, is more like not shopping for a shirt. It's more like you are drowning and somebody throws you a life preserver. It's more like you are drowning and dying and someone jumps in to save you. And when you are drowning and you are dying and someone jumps in to save you, you say, I don't know if that's my style. I don't know if that's my taste. I don't know if that, you know, I'll wait for another person to come in and, and dive in and, and save me. And, and no, that would be ridiculous. When you're, when, you're actually, when you're actually throwing the life preserver into the person who's drowning, you say, here it is. Hold on to this. If you want to be saved, here is the provision. And, and that's what Christ, it's, the, the gospel reveals what Christ has done for us. He is not a fashionable sweater, but he is the Savior sent into the world. And part of why we don't understand that distinction between shopping for religions like we would shop for a sweater and holding on to Christ as if he, because he is the one and only Savior, is because we have not a true understanding of what our need is, of what our absolute need is for a Savior. Because apart from Christ, apart from God's work in us through him, we are all hopelessly drowning in the debt of our sins. We are, we are hopelessly drowning in our idolatry. We are hopelessly drowning in despair of a life that is unhinged from the God who's created us. We're not shopping for gods. We're drowning in gods. We're drowning in a sea of religions, drowning in a sea of worldviews with nothing solid out of our feet. And Jesus jumps in. He jumped into our world. And he pointed people to himself saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But forgiveness of sins is available to all, to all who come to Jesus by faith. That's the message we're here to point people to, is that Jesus is not a sweater, Jesus is Savior. And so that is why we exist. We exist to point people to Christ, to point people to the way. Now as we look at these two chapters in the book of Acts, we're going we're to quickly survey these two chapters and see how the apostles who were sent out from Antioch pointed people to Jesus as the way, and we're going to look at three things. We're going to look, they pointed to people to the way strategically, cooperatively, and fearlessly. And Derek, you can go ahead one more. Because first we're going to look at how they strategically pointed people to the way. Because you get the effect, even though the Holy Spirit sent the people out, even though the Holy Spirit sent Paul and Barnabas out, they went out with a plan. And what you see is they, they, they went out with a plan. First, you, you have in Acts chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, I just like, like this one. Uh, they looked at a map. So in Acts 13, 4 and 5, it says, And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they set, sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, I don't know how to say that, Salamis? Mm, makes me hungry. Salamis, I think. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And we looked at this, we touched on it a little bit last week, but, but we look at this, and then look at this map, and you see they're, they're in Antioch, uh, up, up there. Antioch's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. 
And as they're, as they're being sent out by the Holy Spirit, where, they, you know, where are we going to go with this gospel, this good news? How, where are we going to go to point people to the way of Christ? Uh, they sail, and they go down to Seleucia, and they sail to this island of Cyprus. Now, we've heard of Cyprus a couple times in the book of Acts before, because this is where Barnabas is from. So as they're being sent out to go point people to the way of Christ, and they're thinking, well, where should we go? Barnabas says, well, let's go to where I'm from. Let's go to my people. And so they go to the island of Crete, and they go here to preach the gospel at Cyprus and Salamis and, and at Paphos. And after having uh, crossed this island, proclaiming the, the word of the Lord, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, they, they sail now to the port of Perga, and they make their way to the next largest city, which is Antioch. And it, I wonder if, I don't know if they did this, where they were like, oh, that would just be kind of neat. We'll go from Antioch to Antioch. But they go to what's called Pisidian Antioch up here, preach the gospel there, and then they start following the, made, the roads back through the cities, back toward Tarsus, which is the last city that we had heard where the gospel had gone. Because Saul, the apostle, had been in Tarsus for a number of years before he went to Antioch. And so they, what they did is they just went to where they were. They, they started retracing their steps back to Tarsus where the gospel already was. And then they, they looped back and, and went back home. They looked at a map and they were looking for, uh, for, for where can we go to where the gospel is not? And how can we do this strategically and methodo uh, methodically? That's the word, methodically. So they looked at a map. Second, they looked at opportunities. And let's look at Acts chapter, just going on the next verse, Acts 13, 5. It says, they proclaimed the word in the synagogues of the Jews. So as they were going to the different cities, and particularly when they arrived at Salamis, but through the whole section in Acts chapter 13 and 14, as they go to a new city, and they think of where are we going to even start in this city, what they do every time is they go and they find the synagogues of the Jews. And they do this for a couple of reasons. They do this first because they had a, a theological conviction. Like their theological conviction was the Jewish people were the people of the promise. The Jewish people were the people that Messiah had, or that God had spoken and promised Messiah would come. And so that the Jewish people should be the first to hear this message of salvation that the Messiah has come. And so they go into the city. The first thing they do is they find the synagogues. So they do it for a theological conviction. But there, there's, there probably was also a pragmatic reason for this. As traveling teachers who were Jewish themselves, they went to the place, to the people, who they would get a hearing with. In fact, you even see this in Acts chapter uh, 14. Actually, Acts chapter 13, verse 14. Um, this, is, this is probably what happened as they went from city to city into the synagogues. They went from Perga, came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now can you imagine Saul and Barnabas getting into the synagogue? They go, first they're going city to city methodically. They've looked at a map. They're, okay, we're, we're plotting out our course. And then they get into the city and they say, okay, we're going to go to the people to whom we can gain a hearing first. So they go to the synagogue and they go and they sit in the synagogue. And as they, they, they recognize, the people recognize that that they're teachers of some sort. And so they get at some point in their worship service, they say, hey, brothers, you're here. Do you have any word to say to encourage us? And Saul and Barnabas say, yeah, we do. 
we do have a word to encourage you. And actually, if you can go on and read uh, in chapter 13, you can read actually the sermon they preach, and they go and they preach from the Bible, from the Jewish scriptures themselves, they go and they preach Christ. They go and they preach Christ is the one who all the fathers, all the prophets spoke of. And he's here, and his name is Jesus, and he came to Jerusalem, and we killed him, but he rose again from the dead, proclaiming forgiveness of sins in his name to all who believe. And can you imagine that sort of opportunity? You go into a coffee shop, or you go into your classroom, and somebody says, oh, hey, Emma, do you have any word to encourage us by? And you say, yes, yes, I do, Jesus. I'm here to point people to Christ. That's my mission, is to point people to Christ. <coughs> To Christ is the way. I was speaking uh, with a man named uh, Larry Chico. It's not his real last name, actually. He shortened it for reasons that you'll understand. But uh, he has a ministry here. He actually has a ministry worldwide. But he lives here in Ottawa now. And he, um, he's lived for the last decades in the Middle East, working with Arab Muslims and translating the scriptures into Arabic and translating material. He's worked on a, he showed me, he actually gave me a copy of a study Bible that has Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. And he's translated the notes for the study Bible there. And one of the things he's trying to do while he's here in Ottawa for the next year is he's actually trying to speak to and get to know each of the imams in Ottawa. And he's, saying, he, he's telling me that as he has spoken to various uh, Muslim leaders in this city, that they have asked him and implored him and, and said, we would so much love to, to talk to some Christian pastors and some Christians and, and actually begin to have discussion about these things that they hold dear and we hold dear. And now hear this, we believe, and that's what started that controversy this week with that guy on Capitol Hill, we believe that unless they turn to Jesus Christ, they would stand condemned in their sins. But hear this, they also believe that unless we recognize Muhammad as the only prophet, that we are condemned in our sins. But they are saying, we, would, we want to have, we want to hear from you. What do Christians believe? We want to hear from you. What is your hope? And he said as he has dealt with the Muslim community in this city, what he has found is not that the Muslim community is scared to hear from us. They want to hear from us. What he has found is that the Christians in the community so far, he has been having a hard time finding Christians who will accept that invitation to go and to share that, that hope that we have and that will go to point to Christ. There are people in this city from various different faiths there are people in your school and in your workplace that are waiting for you, that would extend an invitation for you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Sometimes we need to listen first. Sometimes we need to hear them. Sometimes we need to hear what they have to think and what they have to say, and so we can hear them, and, and then we can say, do you mind if I share my hope? But that's what we do. We go from town to town. We go from neighborhood to school to workplace, pointing people to the way of Christ. And so they looked at the opportunities that they had. And so as they went to the synagogues and they were invited to share any word of encouragement, they took those opportunities. Third, they looked at the people. And this is actually after, after they preach from the prophets to, in the synagogue, 
they, they, they started with the, the Old Testament scriptures when they're talking to the Jewish people. And this is how they closed. They said, and we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Oh, sorry. Go back there, Derek. By raising Jesus. What you see happening, not only in these two chapters, but also in other places in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament, is they, they considered the people to whom they were bringing the message. And they wanted to bring the message to them in a way that they would understand. And so when they were speaking to the Jewish people, they, they would start with the scriptures, they'd start with the promises, they'd start with the words of the prophets, and they would show them how Jesus has fulfilled each of these words. The, you can go Derek next. They, after they were kicked out of the synagogues, they would, they would go into the marketplaces and they would talk to the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles didn't have that background of the scriptures. They didn't have that background of the prophets. So in Acts 14, they said, men, uh, the, 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 they, they go to a city and the, the Gentiles started worshiping them because they had done a, performed a miracle. And, and they shout out to them, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. We bring you good news. So they, they still say, we bring you good news. But here they say, they, they start with their idolatry. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So when they went to the synagogue, they, they considered the people, and they started with the scriptures. When they went into the marketplaces, they considered the people, and they started with their idolatry, and they used their idolatry to show how there is a, a true and living God who has been over their whole life, and that they would know if they truly sought him and, 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 and listened. I was, uh, last weekend was the big give. Right? A lot of different churches in town did different things in their neighborhood and their community. I went down to Sunnyside, Wesleyan Church, um, kind of near the new neighborhood. It's in the Glebe, right? I went down to Sunnyside, and I got there a little bit early. I was like 10 minutes early. And I was standing in line, because there's a line waiting to go into this, this free garage sale that Sunnyside was putting up. And as I'm standing in line, this lady stands next to me, and she goes, she goes, uh, how did she start it? She said, well, actually, she just asked me straight out. She said, are you Jewish? And I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know. I've had people tell me I, I sometimes look Jewish. Different lighting, I guess. I don't know. But she just asked me straight out, which was a weird question to start with. She just asked me, are you Jewish? I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not. I'm Irish. Um, uh, and she said, uh, she said, this is really interesting what these Christians are doing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, do you know about Christi Christians? And I was like, a little. And um, I didn't tell her I was a pastor because it would scare her, right? So I said, a little. And she said, oh, I, I, I have these questions about, she's like, you guys believe, uh, what was she asking me about? She's like, you guys believe that there's like three gods? And I said, well, no, it's not exactly like that. And um, I started explaining, but what I did was I, I tried, to, tried to explain the Christian faith and Jesus Christ as Israel's promised Messiah, sent by Yahweh, um, Yahweh himself in the flesh to, to, bring, to bring about salvation for the Jewish people and then, and then overflowing to Gentiles like me. And we were having an a, a interesting conversation. And I wasn't shoving things down her throat. I was actually just answering the questions that she was, she had all these questions like built up. 
Like she's just waiting for a Christian to come, right? And she's, at, so as I'm answering these questions, this other woman, this, this mom, she had two kids, she, 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 like, we're talking like this, and she's over here, and she jumps into our conversation, and she's like, it's not about religion. You know what I hate about religious people? I hate it how they're always shoving their beliefs down our throats. And she said, it's not about religion. You don't need to believe in anything. All you need to do is know that God is there and God loves you. And these religious people will try to shove their beliefs down your throat, so don't listen to them, because you don't need to believe any of that. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to turn and talk to this lady, starting from the scriptures. So what I did is I turned to this lady, and I asked her a couple questions. I said, wow, you really believe what you're saying, don't you? She said, yeah, I hate it when religious people shove their beliefs down their throat. I said, you're... You're really convinced of that? She said, yeah, I'm really convinced of that. I said, and I can see you're really passionate about this. She's like, yeah, I'm really passionate about it. I said, you're so convinced of what you believe and you're so passionate about it that you even felt like you had to interrupt our conversation in order to tell those things to us, right? And she said, yeah, it's really important that you know this. And it took me a couple more questions until she could see the irony that I was trying to point her toward. And I said, finally directly said, isn't that what religious people are doing when they're just sharing their hope and their beliefs? Aren't you right now doing the same things? And she says, like suddenly it just hit her and she said, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I guess I was. And I said, like, listen, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm not trying to point, point I'm not trying to like shove a religion down your throat. What I am trying to do is point to this lady to the hope that her own scriptures point, and that is the hope of God in Jesus Christ. It's the hope that sinners like me and like her and like you, people who fall so short and go our own way, that we can find forgiveness and relationship with God through Jesus. She was like, huh, and then it became less antagonistic after that point. What I'm saying is we consider the people. We consider our methods of how we preach and how we talk and how we share we see what Paul says. For example, Paul, later on, um, Derek, you can flip ahead. This is actually Paul's, what Paul said about his own methods. He said, for though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. Now, that doesn't mean when that lady asked me, are you Jewish, I should have said yes. Maybe I should have. I don't know. Um, but I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. I, I start with the scripture. I start by showing them in their own Bible and from their own point of view who Messiah is and why Jesus is Messiah. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I'm not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. And to those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. He clarifies, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So, so I don't go and be immoral to win immoral people. But I do go in ways and manners and methods they can understand, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And so, part of pointing people to Christ, pointing people to Christ as the way, is, is, is going into this world Oh, no, now I lost my note. <laughs> Sorry, where was I? Part of helping people walk the way of Christ is pointing people to Jesus as the way, strategically. What does that mean for us? 
What it means for us is together here at OCBC, looking strategically at why he's moved us to where he's moved us, looking at the opportunities in front of us as we move into our new neighborhood together. Now, now we can apply these things collectively as a church, and you can think through these things individually and personally as you as an individual. But as a church, we exist to help people walk the way of Christ, and we, we point people to Christ, and God's giving us a new uh, collective kind of community for us to love and to pray for and to, and, to, and to reach out to and to point people to Jesus as the way within. And so as we, as we move over this next month, as we're in the process of moving, we, we are in the process of identifying opportunities. We're in the process of getting to know the people who will be there. And I'm excited. Like, I, this is what drives me as a person because I, I, I hope each, and I hope this is what drives each of you as we connect ourselves to the mission of God. This is what drives me. I want to know the people around me. I want to love the people around me. I want to know how to point them to Christ. And we get an opportunity, amazing opportunity as a church, to do it together. To together, like, seek out those relationships. To seek out those opportunities. Um, I'm excited. That's why, that's why we've formed uh, an outreach uh, team. Not just saying that anybody who's on that team is the only one who, who has this heart and this burden and this passion. But so that we can have a group of us identifying those opportunities of loving and praying for those people and bringing the rest of the congregation around. Next weekend, we have a, the next weekend, there's a great opportunity for you guys. Um, what we did a couple years ago in order to like break out of these walls and love our neighborhood around us is we started volunteering at Westfest, which was the community kind of party out here in, on our main street. Next weekend in, in our new neighborhood, in Old Ottawa East, they're doing a festival right on the street, and uh, there's a chance to get to know the community. It's a fun, fun day. You get to know the community, get to know some of the community leaders, get to know some of our neighbors, and they've asked us if we could provide some people to help serve them. And so we're looking for, like, I, I was going to say it as an announcement, but I'll just say here, we're looking for, like, six of you to just say, yeah, I'll, I'll help and serve and love the community next week by standing at a barricade for an hour or two. So you can talk to Henry of our outreach team because we're looking for opportunities and ways to serve and love in word and in deed to point people to Christ. We do this collectively as a church. You do this individually and personally in your neighborhood and in your workplaces and in your schools. So we strategically point people to the way. The next two things are going to be much more quick. Secondly, we, we cooperatively point people to the way. Notice that in all of Paul's missionary journeys through the whole book of Acts, you'll see he never goes out by himself. Some of us had this old kind of uh, romanticized view of missions and the work of Christ as being like one person against all the world and I'm going to go and save those pagans. And, and you don't see that in the New Testament. And that's not wise. What you see in the New Testament is them going out together and going and, and pointing people to Christ together. So Saul and Barnabas went out, it says in Acts chapter 13, uh, Saul and Barnabas were set out for the work. They were, they were being sent out, verse 4, chapter 13, verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down, and at the end of verse 5, and they had John to assist them. And you know as the book from the Acts, and, and you know from the rest of the New Testament, you're introduced to people like Titus, and, and Timothy, and, and Silas, and, and Luke himself, and, and Priscilla, and Aquila, and Apollos. I think somebody counted there's 
around 20 different people in the New Testament that are, that are have said to at one point been part of Paul's team as he goes out into this mission. And they go out together. They don't, they don't do it by themselves. And, and I'll tell you, like, you might have experienced this in your workplace or in your schools where you feel like you're the only one, you're the only Christian, you're the only one you know in your school, you're the only one you know in your workplace, and you, it's hard. It's really hard to do that. Uh, Jean and I, we went to Japan for the first three years of our, our marriage, and it was really, really hard to, 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 to not be connected to a broader community than just us. And, and so part of their strategy as they went out was they, they worked cooperatively. They, they pointed people to the way together. Even Jesus sent out his disciples in the book of, in the, book of uh, in, in the Gospels. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. So the first thing I would say, if, if you're going out and personally working through what does this look like for me and my mission, is if you're at a school, if you're at a high school, if you're at a junior high school, and if you're at a university, seek out others on campus, right, to work with and to cooperate with and to teammate with. And if there's other people in this church, that's even greater in your school. And if in your workplace, I love that some of you guys have talked about your workplace Bible studies and, and how amazing uh, they have been to encourage you when you feel like you're the only one in your workplace and when you start to see that there are others there if you live in a larger company, if you work in the government or something. If not, I, I, I just remember the first, uh, my first week when I, was at, uh, when I was in college. I was in community college. I was at the, the public school. And I didn't know who, where the other Christians were. I remember I myself took a piece of paper. I just... I wrote, see you at the pole on a certain date. Come and pray. And I just tacked it up. I probably didn't go through the right channels. I just tacked it up on campus. And there was like 10, 15 of us that gathered that day, and those became my friends for the next two years as I stayed at that school. Take initiative to find other Christians to, to partner with in this work and in this mission. You'll also notice that as they, as they go out in chapter 13 and through the book of Acts, they don't just partner with one another, but they, when, they, when they make disciples and, and preach the gospel to them, they gather them together in communities that they call churches. We know what these things are because we've been studying already in the book of Acts. We've, we've, they, they gathered together communities like the church in Jerusalem, people who are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to the Lord's Supper and to, and to selflessly sharing with one another. Uh, communities like Antioch, churches like Antioch, where, where Jews and Gentiles, people from different backgrounds, slave and free and rich and poor, were worshiping God together. What you don't see in the New Testament is Christians going alone. And what they did is they went out is they, they went out together themselves as a team to go point people to Jesus as the way. And when people came to Christ, they gathered them together into teams and into, into, into churches. I was going to say into teams called churches. But that's an interesting way to think about us as a church, is that we are a team of people who are on one mission. We're a team of people who are banded together by the Holy Spirit. We're a team of people that have been banded together by our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill this work of going and proclaiming Christ to the nations. None of us does it alone. You don't have to do it alone. You can pray for one another. You can stand with one another. We're not just a social club. We're fellow soldiers set on this mission together. 
And so we do this at OCBC. We cooperatively point people to the way, and, and, and possibly this is something we need to grow in, to band together, to set the mission in front of one another and to pursue it together, not only here in the English congregation, but also with the Chinese congregation, believing that actually when we work together, we, we actually can do this better, point people to Jesus better. And third, final kind of thing I want to just look at from these two chapters, and this jumps out from these two chapters, and I'm kind of just giving you a taste of them. You can go home and read them. They fearlessly pointed people to the way. They fearlessly did. I mean, you can't read the book of Acts without being inspired by how fearless these guys are. They go, uh, for example, their first stop is at Salamis, right? And they go to the island of Salamis, and at the island of Salamis, you see that they're fearless in the face of oppression. They get this great, amazing hearing when they go to Salamis. They get to hear the proconsul, who's like the mayor of the city, or maybe even above the mayor, and they get to have an audience with him. But as they're having an audience with him, this guy, Elamis the magician, that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But look at this boldness in the face of opposition. Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? He actually commands that this guy will go blind. But it's not the miracle that convinces the proconsul. In verse 12, it says, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what he was incurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So in the face of they fearlessly proclaimed the gospel. You see that in the first city that they went. But then when they get, they go, they go inland to Pisidian Antioch. You see the missionaries are fearless in the face of hatred. So, so they go there the first week, and they preach, they, they, right, they get invited to, like, hey, brothers, do you have something, a word of encouragement to share? And they preach from the scriptures, Christ is Lord. And after they preach that first weekend, actually the synagogue leader says, hey, that was interesting, why don't you come back next week and do it again? And so they come back to the synagogue the next week, and they do it again. And then it says, as they're there the second week, It says that when the Jews saw the crowd, so the word got out that these people have a message from God, and as the word gets out, the crowds come. It says when the, word, the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Reviling him. The word is blaspheming him. They, they're, 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 they have a hatred toward them and their message. But again, they speak out. They speak boldly. They speak fearlessly. And the, the, the whole two chapters ends with this amazing story that, that concludes this session. And I can't even get my mind around this. But it's fearless in persecution. Just read this in Acts chapter 14, 19. This is at the end of their journey. It says, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered into the city. That is not the right... Oh, yeah, there it is. He rose up and entered the city. The next day he went on with Barnabas and Derby. And when they had preached the gospel of that city, he made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. I don't understand this. Think about this for a second. They're preaching the gospel in this city... 
and those people who are opposing them and those people that are hating them literally stone Paul to the point that he's unconscious, bleeding on the ground. They take him then, thinking he is dead, and they drag him out of the city, and probably there is some sort of trash heap or some rubble out there, and they just take him and they throw his body onto the heap celebrating, congratulating themselves that they have finally put an end to this person who, is, who is, has the audacity to point them to Christ. And then the disciples gather around them and look at Paul, and they, I can imagine them saying, okay, now what do we do, guys? And as they're staring at this bloody, beaten mess of a man, he gets up. And then he walks back into the city where the people have just stoned him and left him for dead. And what would possess a person to do that? What would possess a person to have faced such opposition, to have faced such hatred, to have faced such persecution, and then to get up and walk back into the city. And I will say to you, you do not do that if Jesus is your shirt. You only do that if Jesus is your Savior. You do not get up and go back into the city because you're a Christian because it somehow suits you. And you do not get up and go back into the city because you're a Christian because somehow you found it's a fulfilling way of life. And you do not get up and go back into the city because you, 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 you think it's a Christian because you get social standing out of being a Christian. You do not get up and go back into the city because you think that Christianity will teach your kids good moral. You only get up and go back into the city if you know Christ as Lord and Savior. And you know that the people who stoned you are the same people that killed him. And you know that the people who stoned you are the same people who he died for. You know that the people he sto who stoned you are the same ones of those he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And so you get up and you walk back into the city and you continue to point people to Christ. And it doesn't matter, and in this culture, guess what, guys? In this culture, they're not going to stone us. Don't worry about that. You need not fear. No one in Ottawa is going to take up pebbles and start throwing them at you. But they might, like Bernie Sanders, say, you cannot be a Christian in this country and believe that Jesus is the only way. You have, there's no place for you in government. There's no place for you in your job. There's no place for you in the school. They may tell you that. And if Jesus is a shirt to you that you pulled off the rack and put on because you thought he looked good on you, you're going to stay down. You're going to stay outside the city. You're going to stay dead in the ditch. Jesus was not a shirt to Paul. He was Savior. He was a Savior who sent him on a mission. As we say, to help people walk the way of Christ, but he was sent on a mission to point people to Jesus as the only way, the only truth, and the only life. May that be said of us here at OCBC.